This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Brainstorm Cell Therapeutics is developing innovative autologous stem cell therapies for debilitating neurodegenerative diseases such as ALS. Its platform technology induces mesenchymal stem cells to secrete high levels of neuroprotective factors that promote the survival of neurons. We spoke to Chaim Leibovitz, CEO of Brainstorms, about ALS, the company's platform technology, and how the company's approach may be able to address a range of neurodegenerative diseases. Chaim, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. We're going to talk about ALS, neurodegenerative diseases, and brainstorm cell therapeutics efforts to develop cell therapies to treat these conditions. Let's start with ALS, though. What is it? How rare is it? And how does the disease manifest itself and progress? Yeah, ALS is a terrible disease. It's probably one of the worst neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, your motor neurons die, and, um, well, it progresses differently from patient to patient. That's why it's such a terrible disease. Not only when it comes to the declining of the disease, where 90% almost three to five years after diagnosing die, unfortunately, but also when you have to compare patient to patient in a trial, it's a very difficult task because they proceed differently. Some are upper motor neuron and lower motor neuron and bulbar. And so it's very hard to comparable, and therefore they came up with the score, ALS Everest R-score, which is the golden standard for the industry. They have different, 12 different types of questions. Some are objective, some are subjective, and you have a two to four score, up to four score, which you have to read, and then you can compare in total the ALS Everest R-score. And how is ALS treated today? ALS really has, don't, doesn't have any uh, treatments that have a very clinically meaningful impact. But there's really a which was approved 22 years ago and probably has some kind of an exceptional life expectancy. And last year, the agency, the FDA, has approved in Derivon, that's a drug out of Japan. It was, it's very safe, it says, over 20 years used for um, stroke. Uh, they had three trials that failed, but their fourth trial in a subgroup uh, representing very early early stage patients. They had a statistically significant result in a phase three trial in Japan. And the agency, we understand because there's nothing else really to offer for ALS, they approved this while they did ask for an additional phase three, but it is approved across the board, not only for the subgroup. So I think that gave some hope to patients and probably we'll see uh, 
some effect, I believe, in the early stage patients, which is represented by their trial they have done. How well understood is ALS from a biological point of view? Do, do we understand the, the causes and the, the biological mechanisms involved? There are some biologics we do understand, but many that we don't understand. And that's a problem not only with ALS, by the way. In the whole CNS space, we have a big problem, for example, even in Parkinson. Like we may know that the Parkinson patient has an X percent of dopamine cells that have died, but we don't know why patient X cells die less than patient Y and Z. So there's so many underlying factors in the biological which we don't know. So we're trying to learn as much as we can, and we even from our previous trials, have uh, learned a lot from our biomarkers. We have taken uh, from the CSF before and after treatment and compared to various neurosurgical factors and anti-inflammation, which are all known to be the, some of the biological me methods of action in the disease. But, uh, of course, we cannot say that we know them all. You have a, a platform for developing therapies using mesenchymal stem cells. What are mesenchymal stem cells, and what makes them attractive to use as a treatment for neurodegenerative disorders? A yeah, very good question. So first of all, just a small correction. We have a differentiation in mesenchymal cells, but yet a differentiation process. So differentiated cells, we call them neuron. But in the literature, you have uh, merely hundreds of studies in mesenchymal cells in the CNS space because it has a characteristics uh, that are very relevant for the CNS space, like increasing, increasing of neurotrophic factors. But uh, what we are doing in our differentiated cells, we have far higher and for more dramatic increase of the factors, and we have shown it again and again when we compare the regular mesenchymal cells to the differentiated cells, which is very relevant. And also the other very relevant part for the stem cells is as a delivery system. You, you have one, it migrates to the, to the, it has a way how to migrate to, to the point of the damage. Um, we have doctors calling it like nano pumps. So radio delivers these neurotrophic factors and other goodies, which we have in our differentiation process, to the site of damage. So that's very important. But as I said, the non-differentiated cells show some kind of improvement in various CNS diseases across the board. Well, where are these cells derived from, and what do you do to prepare them as a, as a treatment? Yeah, so there are various sources for the mesenchymal cells. And, uh, again, scientists will differ if it's a different where the source is. And I know, uh, so I don't think it's uh, – we should go into this debate here, as I'm not a scientist after all. But our source is uh, the bone marrow. We do a bone marrow aspiration. In the bone marrow, we have its adult stem cells, autologous adult stem cells, that's our treatment. So the patient's own cells will, uh, from the subtraction from the bone marrow, we will have like 0.02, very small percentage of um, adult stem cells, but we know how to purify them. And uh, our know-how also to expand to hundreds of millions of cells, really, where a few companies would know how to do that. And then we know to freeze them. So that's a very important part when you talk about an autologous treatment. If you're able to cryopreserve the cells, that means you only need once a BMA for treatment for two to three years. So that's very important. It's almost like creating an elegant product for the patient. And what do you actually do to these cells once you've extracted them? Yeah, so as I said, we purify them and then we expand them, of course, hundreds of millions of cells. Then we cryopreserve them and then we have dates when we want to re-inject it. So seven days before we Defreeze it in simple language. Um, it's, we saw them, 
and have our own differentiation process with uh, many neurotrophic factors. We don't think a single neurotrophic factor is going to is going to make the deal, as they say. It's going to repair what we want to repair. Even as it is, I, we don't, we're not sure that neuron will in patients have a reverse effect. We do see in some patients a reverse effect, but in most patients we just see maybe a halt of the disease or a strong slowdown. And again, because it's a biological product, and as I said, ALS patients differ from patient to patient how they define, and uh, so therefore there will be a different response in those patients that are responders to this treatment. You're not seeking to replace brain cells here per se, but really to deliver the neurotrophic factors that these cells are then programmed to produce. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that means it's mainly neuroprotective and Definitely, we believe that we are able to hold the death of cells because it's, it's not a black and white deal there. You know, you have so many cells that are still healthy and so many cells that are dead already. We don't think that we're able to regenerate the dead cells. But the cells going to the direction to die, we may be able to hold that and even regenerate them. And, and why is this preferable to, say, delivering neurotropic factors directly to the brain? So, again, first of all, a single neurotrophic factor probably won't make it, and I can't tell you that various neurotrophic factors which we see in the CNF, CSF hour after treatment, there are different companies and different academic centers uh, researching on HEF, VEGF, BDNF, GDNF separately. But we have also, also seen when they were not delivered through the stem cells, they just disappear immediately. We deliver it through the stem cells in the CSF, in the brain compartment, and that way we, we see it definitely and we think it may stay there up until two months. And therefore, in our phase three trial, the design is to inject patients every two months. So there's some durability to these cells. 100%. So again, as I said, in, unfortunately, in the previous trial, it was not power to efficacy. It was mainly a primary for safety. But still, we did amend and collected the CSF after treatment. But we did it only once, two weeks after treatment. In the phase three, we're checking the CSF uh, seven times because we had such wonderful strong support from the biomarkers we had found. So are you using intrathecal delivery to, to deliver these cells directly into the cerebral spinal fluid, or the, do they migrate yeah. there naturally? Yeah, we, 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 show, we show visuals that they migrate naturally within a few seconds through the whole CSF compartment. But do you have to actually inject them there, or can you just inject Yeah, it's an intrathecal injection, yeah. Okay. Uh, you've treated a number of ALS patients to date. What do we know from the studies you've done? Yes, but first of all, we have, we have done three studies already, and all three under the same trend. We didn't have one failure. Also, a uh, benefit to the treated patients. Now, the first two trials were open-label trials, and those were in the round. Then we had a third trial, which is double-blinded placebo in the States, and I think it's probably uh, led by the best KOLs in the field, um, Bob Brown from University of Massachusetts, and uh, Mary Sutkowitz, uh, the chair of neurology in MGH Harvard, and uh, Tony Winterbank from Mayo Clinic. These all three doctors are uniquely, we cherry-picked them, really, because they're all neurologists, ALS doctors. They currently still see ALS patients, all three of them. And at the same time, they're scientists involved the last 30 years of research for almost anything going on in ALS. Uh, Tony Winterbank, even more uniquely, has he's today the head of the stem cell department in Mayo Clinic, the former dean of Mayo Clinic. So he has a whole set, you know, an ALS doctor neurology, 35 years of research in ALS. And they say they've ne never seen such results in the past. So, of course, it's not power to efficacy. It's a 
small patient population of 48 patients, and was only three to one randomization as we didn't know how to power up with B power because it was our first double blinded trial. But when you look, we look at the biomarker results, and we see the strong neurotrophic uh, factor increase in the treated patients versus the non-treated, which we don't see. It's flat, specifically in VEGF, and uh, the, the very high reduction of MCP1, which is anti-inflammation, or again, only in the treated patients versus the non-treated. It really gives you at least some support that this is not a by-chance result. And is there expectation that this could reverse damage at all, or is the expectation that it would simply slow progression of the disease or halt it? So we are very careful about saying what the expectations are, and we're trying, of course, to minimize that, because we think that even just having a better result than a Derivon, that would be suffice enough for an BLA, perhaps. And a Derivon only shows a slowdown of uh, two points over six months. It means around six, 0 0.3 points of the ALS of SR score over a month. We had shown in the previous trial 1.5 points pre the post slope uh, every month. And if we look baseline to treatment around 1.2 per month versus 0.3, more or less. So it's, it's not real comparison, apples to oranges, but just so that you understand. Now, yes, we have seen patients with reverse, but as I told you previously, patient to patient will differ. There will, there will be patients that will not respond to it. You know, in a similar industry that was lately approved, a few products in 2017, and it's also a personal cell therapy, but it's a total different method of action, the CAR T cells, and even then they don't show 100% responders. They show around 50% responders. Also, for example, an SMA uh, Spinrada also has around 40% of responders. So we, we will want to see how much responders will have, and within these responders, it won't be the exact same responders. What we're but in a phase three, we do have to pick a number. So we are trying our primary endpoint to have a zero, uh, sorry, 1.025 per month improvement pre post slope. And that's by any means a very clinically meaningful effect. And, and what are you using for the endpoint in that study? I didn't get your question. What are you using as the endpoint in that study? How are you measuring that improvement? Or Yeah, I just said it's ALSFRSR score. We, we measure the patient's pre-treatment three months in the run period, and then we compare it to treatment, and we're going to compare it seven months after baseline. And within this seven months, the patient would have gotten in zero, four weeks, and eight weeks, uh, three, three treatments. You're also looking at a, a variety of other neurological conditions, MS, autism, Parkinson's, Huntington's. Are you using the same cells for this? Or are they prepared differently to treat these different conditions? No, so they're not prepared differently, but no, there's not a magic. We do, there's similarities to the method of action, even though the diseases do have different pathways. And the targets of the injections will differ. And also for some other diseases, we're looking at some similar products. So all the diseases you mentioned that we have results are preclinical results, but uh, we're looking uh, seriously how to proceed in the clinic with another indication and perhaps with a different product also for one of the other indications. And at this point, is there a, a timetable when you might expect to be able to go to regulators and, and seek uh, marketing approval? Well, we're waiting for the end of phase three readout. This is 200 patients, one-to-one randomization in six centers. In addition to the previous three centers, we have three centers today in California, Cedar Sinai, CPMC, and UC Irvine. Uh, the randomization of the patients 
uh, will be done by the end of the year. And uh, then it's an 11-and-a-half-month uh, trial from run-in to after seven months followed by the treatment. So I believe at the end of 2019, we should have top-line results. Chaim Leibowitz, President and CEO of Brainstorm Cell Therapeutics. Chaim, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Mr. Levine. It was a great pleasure to speak to you today. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.